Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero. We deserve to be the hero. We need it. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it is time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Boy, plans change, don't they? I had everything laid out. I was going to talk to you about the wild card weekend in the NFL. I was going to give you my thoughts, and I'm still going to have Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line, my good friend, played eight years in the NFL. He will join me for a couple of segments, and we will talk about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about tonight's college football national championship game. But my thoughts on the wild card weekend, well, I guess you'll hear them when I'm talking to Jeff. But Matt LaFleur is gone, huh? So he's going to Green Bay to be the new head coach. He was here for all of one season as the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator, and he somehow gets that job. He somehow goes to replace Mike McCarthy and work with Aaron Rodgers. Matt LaFleur and Todd Monken down in Tampa Bay were the, apparently the two lead candidates for the Packers job. I did not realize when I started seeing those bet online odds last week Matt LaFleur's name was in the top three to five candidates for three jobs. It still didn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me right now. Matt LaFleur, who was there for Matt Ryan's MVP year in Atlanta and then was under Sean McVay last season in Los Angeles with the Rams and then has one year as an offensive coordinator himself here in Tennessee where the offense was not very good where we saw some baffling play calls. Here's the thing about Matt LaFleur. Everybody and their mother in the NFL right now is out there looking for the next Sean McVay. I get it. I totally get it. You want somebody that can go do that for you. You want a young Andy Reid. You want a Doug Peterson. You want a Lincoln Riley. You want a dude that can put up a ton of points in a league that now values offense more than it ever has, especially airing out the football and putting up 40 points a game. I, I totally understand that. But the reason why Sean McVay is a name that we talk about that just rolls off our tongues so quickly is because he's a unicorn, folks. It doesn't happen very often. I've said many times on this show that Nick Saban, Dabo Swinney, Urban Meyer, all of those guys, the reason why they're so valuable is because they don't grow on trees. In fact, I'm not even sure that those trees exist. They're unicorns. You don't find them every day. You don't find them every year. You don't find them every decade. You don't find them every generation. So how many guys have lost jobs in the SEC because they couldn't beat Nick Saban? And then you replace them with a guy who, guess what, also can't beat Nick Saban. It's because Nick Saban is that unique. He's that special. He's that otherworldly. So 
trying to find a new Sean McVay is not just a matter of finding another young offensive coordinator that might have some wrinkles that are new or might be progressive in his thinking. Matt LaFleur has less to offer at this point than Cliff Kingsbury, who I consider to be the most overrated coaching candidate in the country. I don't know why NFL teams are looking at Cliff Kingsbury. I wasn't even sure he'd be a great offensive coordinator at USC. I mean, what did he really do? I'm right now at sportsreference.com. This year in the Big 12, his Texas Tech team, 5-7, and seven, fired. Last year, 6-7. and seven. Year before, 5-7. and seven. Year before, who was 7-6. and six. And then four and eight and eight and five in his first season back in 2013. Cliff Kingsbury won a Holiday Bowl, and he lost a Texas Bowl and a Birmingham Bowl in his one, two, three, four, five, six seasons in Lubbock. Tommy Tuberville was seven and five the year before. Left the team, finished eight and five, won the Meineke Car Care Bowl, and then Cliff Kingsbury had the same record in his first year, and that was the best year he ever had. But somehow Cliff Kingsbury is now Midas. And you want that guy because he's such an offensive guru. He was fired from his alma mater. And he was a star player and a popular guy in that area that seemed to have everything that you would want, except for the fact that he's just kind of average, right? His team put up a good amount of yards. They put over 4,000 passing yards up this season. They were in the top 30 in offense. But it seems like people are ready to throw their head coaches off a cliff to get Cliff. And I don't really get it. But I get that a little bit more than I get Matt LaFleur. Because like I said, he was with Matt Ryan in the MVP season in Atlanta. Changes were made. Matt LaFleur was not retained. He was not promoted. Ends up in L.A. with the Rams with Sean McVay, where he watches Sean McVay and looks at situations, but has nothing whatsoever to do with the play calling. So he hung around Sean McVay. And he was there in Atlanta, but wasn't responsible for much of anything. Then he comes to Tennessee and runs an offense that everyone within the sound of my voice can say, yeah, that was a little inconsistent. When's the last time you saw an entire football game that the Tennessee Titans played for four quarters in that game where everything Matt LaFleur did or the majority of it made sense? Maybe you can say New England. Maybe you can say Dallas. That's about it. What did you find yourself tweeting? Everyone in the media, I know I did, we would give LaFleur credit for a couple of good drives that he would script out, and then stuff would start to baffle us. Why are we throwing to Taewon Taylor in the back of the end zone in London on that two-point conversion? The Luke Stocker play. The very strange usage of Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry at times this season. Not taking as many shots down the field early in these games. There was nothing about Matt LaFleur that seemed special to me. Maybe he was going to grow into being a special talent. Maybe he's better than I think. Maybe he's the best interviewer in the history of the world. Because the Packers fired Mike McCarthy, probably needed to be done long ago. He and Aaron Rodgers didn't get along particularly well. McCarthy needed to change his scenery. We'll see where he ends up. But then you bring in Matt LaFleur to be the head coach? That's going to get Green Bay over the hump? I saw nothing, nothing in Nashville that would indicate to me that Matt LaFleur is ready to be a head coach in the NFL. I'm not rooting against him. And when you look at it from a local standpoint, 
Marcus is going to have yet another offensive coordinator. The cohesiveness of the team and the consistency and just having something that feels normal out the door yet again. I think it could be addition by subtraction, maybe, but you have to start all over again. Whoever comes in is not going to be Matt LaFleur. Things are going to change again. Maybe it's going to be for the better, but in the short term, there's going to be growing pains again. What did we? What did Coach Mack actually say to me on this very show earlier in the season? He said it was going to take, after watching the Rams under McVay, it took about half a season before Jared Goff started to really understand what was going on. Matt LaFleur was going to bring that to Nashville. It was going to take half a season for the Tennessee Titans to understand everything that was going on and start to click offensively. I'm not sure if they ever clicked offensively. Derrick Henry figured himself out, and that changed a whole lot about what the Titans were able to do down the stretch of this season, that plus a weak slate. But the Titans' offense started to look a little better, but I don't think it had anything to do with the offensive coordinator. So here comes somebody else again that you're going to have to learn a new scheme. That's no good for the Titans. Eventually, you have to have an offensive coordinator that stays there. And this dates back again to what we have heard, the debate, and I've mentioned it on the air, about hiring defensive head coaches as opposed to offensive head coaches. If you have a hot offensive coordinator, you're going to lose him with your defensive head coach. If you hire the offensive guy as the coach, then you can keep him. Look at Kingsbury. If you think Kingsbury's a savior, I do not. But you either had to make him the head coach at USC or you had to wait until every other job was already filled before you gave him that OC gig. Because look what's happening now. Lynn Swan looks awful because Cliff Kingsbury wants to interview for these other jobs because ultimately he wants to be a head coach, not a coordinator for USC. I don't know why you kept Clay Helton anyway. I didn't think there was anything particularly remarkable about him. If you think Kingsbury or Kingsbury's the guy that's waiting in the wings for you, if that's who you want, then go ahead and make him the head coach so he'll stay. Because the minute jobs started opening up, Cliff Kingsbury gets contacted because, again, everyone's looking for Sean McVay. I will be first on record to say this, and I will say it slow enough so that when we cut this audio in a few years, I'll either have to apologize for it or I'll take a bow. Cliff Kingsbury is not Sean McVay. Cliff Kingsbury will fail as a head coach in the NFL. If he goes to Arizona, it ain't going to work. If he goes to the Jets, I don't think it's going to work. But it has a better chance of working than Matt LaFleur does based on the information we have. I don't know what factors into the decision to bring a Matt LaFleur in at this point in his career. Aaron Rodgers has what? Five more years maybe left in his career. He has dealt with injuries. Much of his career has been squandered. He probably should have more Super Bowls than he does. LaFleur coming in tells me they ain't winning next year. Tells me they're not going to win the division next year either. Because LaFleur seemed to be learning on the job as offensive coordinator here in Nashville. And now you just gave him the keys to your whole darn franchise in Green Bay. A Green Bay fan base that has been starving and wanted to see something other than Mike McCarthy. And Aaron Rodgers wanted to see something more than Mike McCarthy. So you get rid of Mike McCarthy and you bring in a dude that has no resume. He stood and watched Matt Ryan and the Falcons liked him so much that when the OC job was there, they decided to go in a different direction and let Matt LaFleur leave. Alex Marvez has said that to me on this radio station in the past. 
Matt LaFleur was the third choice for the Tennessee Titans behind Ryan Day and a second guy that I'm not even sure exactly who it was to be the OC. He's now the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. I know we're going to be talking about this all week on the station. I'll take some calls on it later on in the week as well. You can fire off a take at me at Zone. Up next, Jeff Schwartz. we got to talk some wildcard football. But, man, I think the Packers just made a gigantic, gigantic mistake. We'll be right back. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Back Big Six Monday edition. Four shows this week. Football season comes to an end for the Tennessee Titans. Means I'm on the air a lot more tomorrow night. Tennessee basketball, one of the best teams in the country. You will see them and hear them right here on 104.5 The Zone. But I'm here Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. Joined right now by a guy that always fills in with me when I fill in on Outkick the Coverage, which runs right before the wake-up zone to the first hour does here on 104.5 The Zone. Clay Travis. Uh, obviously the host of that program. He's Jeff Schwartz. He played on the offensive line. We saw offensive lines play all weekend long, some better than others. So let's start here, Jeff. Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard, first two All-Pro rookies from the same team since 65 when it was Dick Butkus and Gail Sayers, which is quite a statement to be able to make. Darius Leonard's probably the defensive rookie of the year, and every time I watch Quentin Nelson play, I'm not so sure he's not even better for the Colts and just how he's helped to change the culture as somebody who knows the offensive line as well as anybody, just how good is Q? So I think you nail on the head. It's not really his talent, which, which is immense, but it's his attitude, right? His attitude is, is infectious and it, it permeates through the whole offensive line. And we know when an offensive line is tough and physical, it makes your whole team kind of play tough and physical. Your team takes on the identity of the offensive line, and then most importantly, you keep Andrew Luck upright, and he's, you know, they, they have the, few, the fewest sacks since the one and five starts since week six on the National Football League. You go against the Chiefs defense this weekend, who really, um, the best thing they do on defense is rush the passer, so the matchup for them is fabulous, but it's, just, it's the attitude, man. It's, it's the attitude. Yeah, so let me tell you, this. like after the play he made on Clowney, which was Unreal. Like you do a disrespectful blocks deal every week for SB yeah. Nation, and good reason to follow you at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. And that was as disrespectful as it gets. I mean, Jadevian Clowney's one of the prime guys and just a total physical stud, and he gets manhandled. And then there's yeah. this thing that I heard Robert Mays talking about, uh, just lamenting last night about holding Twitter. And it's oh. not you guys talking about holds, it's people reacting to base to anything you say and saying, yeah, that was a hold. And this is how I explained it, and I think maybe you can even kind of simplify this even more. May says, and I think we all know this if we watch football, that there's a hold constantly on every play, but what gets called is when you change the direction of the player that you're holding. If you're moving him in the same direction he was already going or the direction you were already going, that's something that's almost never going to be called. It's when you actually change that guy his trajectory, his move, all of those things, that's what gets called. And in that situation, Quentin Nelson just totally manhandled that guy. Correct. It's, it's, the key word to use here is it's restriction. Restriction is the word that the referees use to describing um, the, the act of, of holding. It's you're restricting the defensive player from going where he wants to go. And in the Quentin Nelson clip, there was no restriction. Clowney was going inside. He took him where he wanted to go. And he pancaked him. Yes. 
his arm might have been in a weird place. But again, it's restriction. You're, you're, I, I said this the other day. I don't know how, you know, I'll, I'll keep a PG for your radio, but basically, no, he, you could grab a guy by the groin, okay? As long as you're not restricting him from going anywhere, they're not going to call holding. Holding is also only supposed to be called if it directly impacts the play. So we saw the holding, I was calling Russell Okun yesterday, the Chargers left tackle, right? Yeah. Was that a holding? Probably. But the issue I have with it was it was past the play. I mean, it was uh, it was behind the play already, right? Yeah, so Gordon had already play. cut that corner. He was already past Correct. that move. So, so, that, and that's the problem is people that have never played have no idea what holding is, and it's hard to explain to them because it's not really a written rule, right? It's not like guy jumps offside. This is a penalty. It's arbitrary, but there is a restriction element to this, and if the defender stops moving his feet or sells it, or your arm is outstretched and it's a clear restriction, it gets called. That was not a clear restriction. I know they want to say tackle them, but eh, I don't think so. Which of these four games surprised you the most this weekend? I, I know you and I both thought that Seattle was going to beat Dallas. I can't believe the offensive game plan that Schottenheimer pulled out. It seems like you have a quarterback. If I'm going down and I'm the Seattle Seahawks, I'm going down with the ball in Russell Wilson's hand, not having to deal with third and long all day. Well, it feels like they, they designed a game plan for Blake Bortles, not Russell Wilson. <laughs> and I understand mm. you want to establish the run, and yeah, that's cute, that's fun, it's work, but Russell Wilson was really good in this game. He was 10 of 11 on, on play-action passes. I mean, you know, fourth and six, and he throws an absolute dime. I mean, he is, he's a fabulous quarterback, and you went out with a whimper. You went out not using the best player on the field in that game, which it's Russell Wilson. I mean, there's no, there's no question. He's the best player, um, you know, on, on, on the field, in my opinion, um, in that game. So I just thought it was uh, a poor, poor game plan. Uh, it was a boring game plan. It was a predictable game plan. I think I saw, you know, six times they started to drive with run, run, and obviously pass on the right. down. Um, and it, it, to me, it's unacceptable. It just, it really is. And, um, not not a big fan of, of what they did on uh, Saturday night because I think the Cowboys could have been had. As much as I have kind of been eh, lukewarm in the Cowboys, they keep winning games, and, and I might have to turn my uh, my uh, my lukewarm around to maybe a, maybe a little little warmer, warm bath maybe. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I feel like their defense is legit. There's no question about that. Leighton Van Der Esch, another one of those. There have been a lot of good rookie performances on both offense and defense sure this year. And Leighton, Leighton Van Der Esch is just a freak athlete, and we've seen him make plays all year. And you got Lawrence up front, and the, the, that is a really good defense. Zeke ran extremely well against Seattle on Saturday night. The question mark to me just continues to be, I think Dak Prescott is a winner. I think he is a better competitor than he is an actual football player. I don't find him to be that accurate, but it seems like he can make throws when he has to. So that's a conundrum to me in that I think he's going to get money, and I think he probably deserves money, but I still don't find him to be that great unless everything around him is great. Like It's kind of like Jared Goff. Like You could put certain guys around inferior talent, and those quarterbacks are going to make those teams better. I don't know that that's Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott is a guy that if you put a good running back around him, you put a good defense around him, he's a guy that can win you games. Yeah, I mean, you're basically describing what, what people would call a game manager, right? Is a guy that, that just kind of does what's, what's in the game plan. But I think that you, there is a, a, uh, a, 
an element of his game that is very um, kind of rises to the occasion, right? Like he feels like he's a guy that, you know, is not there's, – there's nothing that, that happened Saturday where you were like, wow, that was – a great play by, by Dak passing the ball, right? Now we saw the, the touchdown to Gallup, the throw before he missed by like 10 yards. Right. And then he comes back and does a perfect throw. What, what is what is good, and I wish to tell us in more of it, is he is a very good weapon running in the red zone. He has always been good at it. They just don't ever use him. And we saw on Sunday he scored on the one, on the one and the second one he had the, he had the quarterback draw on like third or 14, almost scored a touchdown. I mean, I wish they used him more in that manner in the red zone. But they keep winning games. This weekend, they go against the Rams. Uh, they'll be able to run the football, uh, I think, effectively, and it, it's going to be a, a close game. Lamar Jackson, we have discussed this uh, when we've done radio together. I'd love to see it work out for Lamar Jackson, but there's no history that says that what he's doing is something that can be sustained long-term in the NFL. And I, and I felt like when the Chargers got a second crack at him, and a second crack in an offense that's very weird and very quirky in terms of how they ran the football and played through the defense and tried to maximize Lamar Jackson on the ground, it seemed to me like it was basically a baseball team seeing a new pitcher for the second time. Like they got through that first one and really couldn't get you know any wood on the ball, and then they got to see him again, and then they started to get on base. And that's kind of what I saw because the Chargers are the better football team. They have more talent on both sides of the ball, certainly on offense, than the Ravens do. And then defensively, they have guys. They've got good rookies as well. They've got Bosa. They've got a solid secondary. And then they had a perfect game plan to put seven DBs on the field for all but one snap of that football game. And it turned out to work like gangbusters. But to me, the the worst thing that could have possibly happened for the Ravens is to have seen the Chargers two weeks ago, and more so that the Chargers got to look at them. Yes, I mean this is now this is now the blueprint to stop them. And the Browns did some of this. Remember, the Browns after the first couple of drives played really well against the Ravens on defense. Uh, the Baltimore had seven drives and had six points. Um, so uh, this is the, the blue. I'm actually watching this game right now on the defense. I can't wait for the, the game pass to come out because the, the Chargers defense did some fabulous things. Mm-hmm. Up front. Like I, Just Bradley did an amazing job designing this game plan. They moved, they stunted, they cut guys. It was a remarkable job of, of getting this defense um, to, to play in this manner. So uh, it, it's been a fun watch to kind of watch us through on the, on the condensed. And um, look, I'm not surprised, man. I said this, this offense was fluky. Uh, it is fluky. And uh, maybe now we'll, we'll stop talking. I will, I will say this, though. Um, I'm not surprised they didn't go to, to Flacco because if you went to Flacco in the biggest game of the year, you're basically saying that eh, it doesn't really work. Right, um, and you can't do that. You, you've now committed to use, you know, you've now committed to uh, to Lamar Jackson. Seems to me Baltimore doesn't have a quarterback, or they don't have one that I would feel good about next year. Like that division, it's ripe for the Browns to really elevate. I don't know what's going to happen in Pittsburgh. I don't know exactly how this Antonio Brown thing is going to play out, and whether or not they're going to be able to get things under control and come back and start playing good football. The Bengals are probably going to make an awful coaching hire. That's what Cincinnati does. So Baltimore still is going to have that defense. We'll see if Wink Martindale gets any uh, interviews in this coaching round or not. But if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have much. I don't think Flacco has anything left. I think he's probably going to end up in Jacksonville or somewhere like that. And we'll see that he really doesn't have all that much left. But Lamar Jackson, again, like you said, it's basically a gimmick offense. And you're not going to be able to win, I don't think, consistently doing that. So Baltimore is probably going to be looking for a quarterback sooner rather than later that's not on their roster? Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting to see what Harbaugh does because, um, you know, they, uh, he hasn't signed his new deal yet, his extension. And I do wonder if he feels like this might not be the future in Baltimore. I don't know. I don't know if, this, if Lamar Jackson was pressed upon him by the front office or by someone else, but he hasn't signed his deal yet. It's very interesting. I don't know what he's going to do. And teams have talked about maybe wanting to trade for him. He's just, I think he's a great coach. Yeah. So we're going to see what happens with him this offseason. What would you do if you were him? Um, I try to find a team as a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning leave, because your team doesn't have a quarterback, is basically what you're saying there. So we've talked about three of the four games we've got to talk about. Well, we've got to talk about Nick Foles, don't we? And we've got to talk about Cody Parkey. More with Jeff Schwartz. Follow him on Twitter, by the way, at Jeff Schwartz. Read his stuff at SB Nation. We'll be right back here on 104.5 The Zone. Hope your Monday is going well. This is The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Mart, your host as always. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Many of you already do. I appreciate that. 615-737-1045 is a way to get in touch with this program. Right now, joined by, he played in the offensive line in the National Football League for eight years. Now lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, writes and talks about football for a living. He's Jeff Schwartz, at Jeff Schwartz on Twitter. We've been talking. We talked in that last segment. If you missed any of that, Download the podcast. Subscribe to The Big Six with Jason Martin via your podcast catcher of choice. You can hear this show however you want, whenever you want. I want you to be able to consume it at your leisure. Jeff, we talked about the first three games in the last segment. The fourth game, Eagles-Bears. Bears defense holds the Eagles to 16 points, still loses. They didn't play great. Like Khalil Mack was not a gigantic force in the game, but Foles didn't look good through much of it. And then on that final drive, he finds five different receivers. And if there's one question mark about Carson Wentz or the one thing that people want to point to when they say Foles makes the team better or the team seems to rally around him, he gets more guys involved. Carson Wentz has hearts in his eyes for Zach Ertz, and he threw to Zach Ertz all the time. And you saw very little of the other guys. Now you're seeing a lot more of the other guys in key spots. Golden Tate's making plays. Aguilar's making plays. Jeffrey's making more plays. So maybe you can point to that. But yesterday's performance, that doesn't all of a sudden make me think Nick Foles is that great. It seems to me that we'd be having a much different discussion if Cody Parkey makes a 43-yard field goal. Um, I think we would. I will say that the field goal actually got – I should definitely as a block kick now. Yeah, so yeah, the fingertips. Yeah. Him. Um, it looked like it was going left anyways. But um, – <sighs> Yes, I would say that Nick Foles did not win this game for the Eagles, um, but he did drive like 89 yards to get you know, a touchdown. Agreed, I mean, that's, yes. That's, that's still pretty good. And now he's 7-0 in must-win games the last two years if you want to, if you, want to um, you know, take the last three games of last year and his last four starts this season. Um, but the Bears' offense was, was a Bad? yesterday. yes. The Eagles' defense, look, the Saints are going to put up a ton of points this weekend on the Eagles, in my opinion. Um, they're going to take advantage of, of their 13th player starting in the secondary. I mean, dude, me and you might have to play secondary for, for, for the Eagles coming yeah. up soon. I, I just can't believe the Bears did not attack him. Tariq Cohen, four, five targets in the past game, only one rush. Um, don't, don't like it. Yeah, there's some things, some things very odd. Like you mentioned that, that LSU-UCF game, LSU has a wide receiver playing DB down the field. And I'm sitting here wondering why we're not throwing at that guy on every play yeah, if we're I, UCF. It, 
and every time, and every time, every time they threw to him, um, he either got a pi or gave up a touchdown. Yeah, of course <laughs> he did. He's a wide every receiver, player. Jeff. Hey, 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 hey. Matt Jr. throw the ball at him every single play. Yeah, it just seems like there's there's still common sense that's lacking in this league. I think Matt Nagy made a bad decision with some timeouts late in that football game. I, you know, that the irony or not or not thereof of doing something that Andy Reid has always been dogged for when it comes to clock management. Yeah. Andy Reid's got to deal with Andy Luck, and he's got to deal with a great offensive yeah. line and a pretty good defensive line, a pretty good defense that's going to show a lot of zone, which. Does that help you if you're Kansas City? Because Mahomes and this offense has torched zone defense all year. I'm tempted to go with the Colts, not because Kansas City's history. I don't put that much stock into that. I just think the Colts may be the most dangerous team in the NFL right now. Um, yeah, well, you know, here's, here's I think, you know, part, part of the issue when you're looking at um, Mahomes versus zone. Yeah, he's done a great job with it, and I, I, I think they'll move the ball. The problem is the other way is that yeah. is that like you put an immense amount of pressure on the Chiefs' offense to score every single drive. Uh, the culture the Colts are going to score thirty eight points. I'm telling you right now, um, they scored forty four, forty five against us in twenty thirteen in the playoffs. Um, you know, much different teams, obviously, but same defense. And here's the thing: people are going to point to well, Kansas City has played really well on defense at home. Yes, but they played the Raiders, okay, the Cardinals. The Broncos, the Bengals, the Jaguars, and the Niners at home. Mm. They played the Ravens and won by three, and they played the Chargers and lost. So it's – I just think – I just – obviously my brother plays for the Chiefs. I'll throw that out there so people know this. I love the Chiefs. I hope they win. But I just – their defense to me, you can't win with them. I mean, they, they, are, they are by far – they're not even close. They're by far the worst defense still in the playoffs. Um, and their secondary is is the problem. And like I said, you have – a really good offensive line for the Colts that could neutralize what the Chiefs can do a little bit well, which is rush the passer. Um, but if you look at their, I mean, their passing defense is just, it's just not good. Yeah. And then look, if and, and their rushing defense is 32nd, which is, I mean, right. That's what I'm saying. That's what worries me a little bit more. If you're a Chiefs fan is if you sell out against the pass to say somebody other than Andrew Luck beats me, well, Marlon Mack is pretty good and Marlon Mack is capable of beating you in that scenario, and, and I, the two worst units of any offensive defense in the playoffs before the wild card round started were Kansas City's defense and Houston's offensive line. And right. we saw what happened with Houston's offensive line on Saturday. I, I don't know how much of it is Deshaun Watson holding the ball a little bit too long. I know he's responsible. I think Pro Football Focus has him responsible for over 20 of his own sacks because he's holding the football a long time. We've seen some of that here in Nashville with Marcus Mariota as well, yeah. but Watson's out there running for his life on every play. They had no chance uh, against the Colts when they tried to rush at all, but that offensive line in Houston, I look at that and I say, this team had a real window this year, because if you look at the Colts going forward, they're ahead of schedule, and they have the most cap space if they want to spend or if they want to accumulate assets, whatever it is, they are built right now to dominate this division for quite some time to come. Well, they have a ton of cap space. Uh, you know, I know Le'Veon Bell has been kind of hinting he wants to go there, but I don't, he doesn't feel like a guy they're going to pay. I mean, right. he's just going to he's just going to just going to bring more weapons in there, bring some wide receivers in there. They you know they might have to pay Eric Ebron, which is obviously 
um, and, and important to do uh, in that situation. Uh, but man, this is gonna they're gonna keep getting better. Keep, get, you know, get more pass rushers. Get it's gonna be amazing. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I'm excited to watch them. They they might be the next uh, the next uh, the next dynasty. Rams Cowboys is an inter. It's interesting because. It's at home for the Rams, and the Rams are beginning to generate a fan base because they're winning. But Dallas is coming with that defense that we saw what they did to the Saints about a month ago. Goff has not been as sharp, certainly, since Cooper Cup left. When you start to look at the matchups coming up this weekend, I feel like the AFC matchups are fascinating. I feel like both the road teams are going to win. The only thing that makes me hesitate against the Chargers is just because it's the Chargers, and the other team is the Patriots. When you look at it on paper, the Chargers are the superior team. Anthony Lynn's actually a pretty good coach. Belichick's a better coach, I get that. But Anthony Lynn's no scrub. Tom Brady is the better quarterback, but Phillip Rivers is awfully good. But then if you start to look at the rest of the talent, I feel like the Chargers are better. And I think the Colts have a, a real good chance to beat Kansas City. And then in the NFC, I don't feel nearly as good about the teams that are coming in on the road, except that the Rams kind of worry me. Um, well, okay, the Cowboys can make this an ugly game in Los Angeles, right? They run the football well. The Rams don't stop the run very well. Um, obviously, Aaron Donald's elite, and, and the, the Cowboys are going to have issues blocking him with, with their left guard at the moment. Um, but and the Cowboys play physical defense, and I think we've seen you can kind of get physical with them a little bit. Um, and, and that is my concern this game. I think the Rams can win this game easily. They're seven-point favorites, but this is going to be an ugly game. The, the Cowboys are going to make this an ugly game. Um, there'll be, be 50,000 Cowboy fans there. Um, and it, I, think, I think there's a definite possibility that, that they can get out of this with a win. Um, I think if you're looking at one road team to probably win this weekend, um, you know, I probably would say Chargers, mm-hmm. Colts, Cowboys, Eagles. Maybe I don't think the Eagles have a chance. I mean, I know they've got to play it, and I know they've got playoff Nick Foles, which is like playoff yeah. Rondo. But I, I think the Saints are going to win by three touchdowns or more. I don't even think that game's going to be close. I agree. Um, I, I think it's going to be a blow. I think the, I, the Saints over twenty nine and a half points my favorite bet so far. Is there anything to the fact that no one scored more than twenty four points in these four wild card games this weekend? I mean, we saw the two best defenses probably in the league. Uh, certainly with the yeah. Ravens and the Bears. Was it bad offense at times? What did you see in terms of a trend? Because now we're getting high-powered offenses, the stuff that we assumed we were going to be seeing in the divisional round. We'll be seeing that uh, coming up this weekend. Um, and that's it right there. The four best offenses are playing this weekend. We didn't see that. We didn't see that this weekend. Um, we saw a lot of teams that run the football. Um, and, you know, in the playoffs you have to be – a little bit more multidimensional than just doing one thing. And I think that's why we saw a lot of unders this weekend. We'll see this weekend, um, you know, it might snow three or five inches in Foxborough, so that might be a game to watch for. Mm. We have a game, we, you know, we have a game in, in a dome, we have a game in Los Angeles, and even in Kansas City, they're looking at the weather 43 degrees for a high. So, uh, not that cold. It'll be dry there, too. So, uh, it sets up for a lot of points in that game as well. Partial joke. If Nick Foles wins another Super Bowl, are we are we going to start having a Hall of Fame discussion about him, even if he retired after that game? I mean, look, Kurt Warner's in the Hall of Fame, right? I know right. Kurt Warner's had played for the you know the, the fastest show on turf and whatnot, but I mean, I don't know, I don't know how you don't. <laughs> it's amazing, right? It's incredible. I don't think they do it, but man, whew, it'd be crazy. He's going to get too much money, though. You agree with me there? I, I think if you pay that guy, he's going to win seven football games for you as a starting quarterback. Um. 
Or am I, I just undercutting him and I need to just embrace this new Foles revolution? I kind of with you here. He's going to have a worse offensive line. He's going to have um, not Doug Peterson wherever he goes. I'm with you. I don't. I think he goes somewhere that's not the same quarterback. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm going to talk about the yeah. uh, college football championship game here in the next segment. Alabama and Clemson, two best teams in the country, two best quarterbacks that you wanted to see in this situation before the season started. Now, Kyler Murray kind of played his way into it, so did Dwayne Haskins. You got wide receivers that are going to be top picks in the NFL draft on both sides. Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, same exact thing. Two best coaches in the world. This is all you want, I think, in a championship game. I think it's going to be close. How do you think it plays out? Um, I think it's as close. I think Clemson covers the six points. I think there's actually a lot of points scored tonight. Um, it just feels like we're going to get the same type of game we've had. Throughout last year's game, because Kelly Bryant is not the same quarterback that Lawrence or, or Watson is. And I think you're going to end up with a 45-40 game, a 35-31. I think we're looking right in that, right in kind of that range. 30, each team scores 30 points. It's a close, wild, back-to-back, back-and-forth game. Clubs going to have to run a lot of tempo to, to keep uh, to keep uh, Alabama uh, defense on the field and, and get them tired, so I'm I'm looking forward to this game. I uh, can't believe college football season is over now, but uh, we should end with a bang. Yeah, you mentioned tempo. Keep an eye on this if you want to change your bet at halftime. The way you beat Alabama is to make them play a lot of snaps on defense. When Deshaun Watson beat them, they were over 90 snaps for Clemson because they just kept on pounding it in the second half. And because of Bo Scarborough's injury, Alabama went to throw in the ball, and Hurts couldn't do it. So if you see them out there and you're looking at 70, 80 snaps, that Bama defense has a tendency to get tired. But I do think it's going to be a uh, a really good game, and I hope that you win money on it. I don't gamble, but uh, I'm rooting for you there, Jeff. I appreciate it, bud. Thank you. All right, man. Look forward to uh, seeing you down in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Always good to uh, have you on, man. We'll catch you again soon. All right. Take care, man. All right, boss. That's Jeff Schwartz. We'll come back. I will tell you what's going to happen in the national championship game tonight, which is the matchup you should want and the matchup you should be salivating to see. All that next. It's a big six here on 104.5 The Zone. My thanks to Jeff Schwartz. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He does, well, he likes to get into arguments on social media with people about football and other things. It's a lot of fun. Follow him at Jeff Schwartz. Good friend. Glad to have him as part of the Big Six from time to time here on the show. Final segment today. Tonight, there's a big football game. Alabama and Clemson. One versus two. Before the season, this is a game we expected. Full disclosure, before the season, I picked Clemson to win the national championship. Full disclosure, you know my affinity for Alabama. And then I watched football for a month and thought nobody's beating Alabama unless they beat themselves. But if there is one team that can beat them, it is Clemson. I said there were two teams down the stretch of the season. I said there were two teams I would be worried about as an Alabama fan, Georgia and Clemson. Well, we saw what Georgia almost did. I don't think that the move that Kirby Smart made late in that game is a move that Dabo Swinney is going to make. If Dabo Swinney wins the game tonight, that means two of the last three national championship games played between these two teams, Dabo will have beaten Nick Saban. We start having a really interesting discussion about Dabo versus Nick tomorrow if Clemson is able to beat Alabama. If Nick Saban wins his six championships and the record, and we're talking about Nick Saban tomorrow as maybe the greatest coach in the history of college football, if you, already, if you don't already have him there. This is a heavyweight fight. Trevor Lawrence, Dan Orlovsky has said, others have said if Trevor Lawrence was eligible to come out, he's a freshman. If he was able to come out, 
in the draft, half the NFL would be crawling over broken glass to go draft that guy number one. That's how good he is. And yeah, you could have had him in Knoxville, but instead you had Butch Jones as coach, so you found a way to lose him. And T. Higgins, but I digress. They've got a great running back in ATN. They've got Higgins, and they've got some studs at wideout, and they've got Hunter Renfro, who was great with Newt Rockney. He was great with Bo Schimbeckler, and he's great at Clemson right now with Dabo Swinney in his 700th year of eligibility. You've got studs on the offensive line. You've got stars on the defensive line for Clemson. Two guys that I am pretty sure are going to be top 20 picks at worst. And then on the other side, for Alabama, the greatest collection of wide receivers I've ever seen in a Crimson Tide uniform, the greatest collection of receivers I've seen in college in a long time. And look, Clemson's guys are really good. But these boys, Ruggs and Judy, who won the Bolitnikoff, all of these guys are just spectacular. And then you got Josh Jacobs, who every time you see Josh Jacobs, he's making a play, and it gives everyone in the media a chance to remind you he was a three-star recruit that nobody's really looking at, and look at Josh Jacobs now. Yeah, dude's good. He's playing at Alabama. He's on the field. He trucked over a safety against Oklahoma last week in one of the great memes slash gifts that you'll see all year long coming from a college football game. And then, of course, Damian Harris. Both those guys probably get a chance to play on Sundays. Alabama running backs tend to do that. So do Clemson running backs. Tua, well, his health could be a question mark because he has a tendency to get banged up in games and miss some time. Maybe he comes back into games, but he'll get banged up. And Clemson is going to challenge them tonight because they would rather see Jalen Hurts on the field than Tua Tonga-Vailoa, as good a leader as Jalen Hurts is. But we've seen if Jalen Hurts comes in, better watch out. He's only lost two games in his entire career at Alabama, and he came back. Make no mistake, he's the reason they came back and beat Georgia. So there are all the storylines you want. Two best coaches. Two quarterbacks are going to be top ten picks in the NFL draft. Great wide receiving talent. Great running backs. Great trench warfare on both sides of the ball. And we went into great detail on Friday. My reasonings why... The secondary ticket market that was seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars to get into Atlanta at Mercedes Benz last year to see Georgia and Alabama is now very affordable at like one twenty five to go to Levi's to see Alabama Clemson this year out in California. Main thing is location of the game. Alabama and Clemson sold out their allotments, but if you're on the fence, that is a big on the fence purchase. Like if you desperately need an iPad, then you'll go buy an iPad. You'll find a way. If you need it for what, let me change that. If you, because nobody desperately needs an iPad, unless it's, let's say it's required for work and it has to come out of your pocket. If that's the case, you probably need to quit that job. But I have an iPad. I made that decision with my disposable income to buy that tablet, but I didn't need it for life. It didn't change anything. It, it's cool. I like it. Think about that and think about people on this side of the country that want to go see that game. That's a big investment. That's a couple thousand miles. That's definitely a flight. That's hotels. That's all of that. And that's still true in Atlanta, but I can drive to Atlanta. So you can drive to that game. You can drive back from that game. There's a much different feel. California's a pro sports state, so all the people out there are not swallowing up all these tickets to go see this game. This is number one versus number two. Two best teams in the country, bar none. This is a game you want. It's the location, I would say, 60 to 70%. And I talked a lot about the FOMO moment. The FOMO moment... I don't think there's a fear of missing out. Like, you're not going to miss out anything because of TVs and every. The technology is caught up to the fact that I'm going to sit there and enjoy this game so much tonight. 
in the comfort of my own home and my recliner with my food around my friends. All of those things are there. But it's going to be a great football game. Who's going to win it? Alabama's going to win it. They're going to win it 41-31. to 31. If Clemson won it, I would not be shocked. But I think Alabama's talent is going to abuse Clemson's pass defense. Lawrence is going to make some plays. I think at times it might even look like Clemson is in control of the game. But Alabama just a little bit better. Alabama's the class of college football this year, but this is two undefeated teams, a heavyweight fight. We'll all be talking about it tomorrow here on 104.5 The Zone. Enjoy the game. And up next, ball calls. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless and good night.